Pixels from a Crime Scene, Episode 6. It is not too big a problem to solve. Due to the themes covered, this podcast is suitable only for adult audiences and not suitable for children. There is information at the end of this podcast about where you can go to get help. I'm Angela Young, and this is episode six of Pixels from a Crime Scene, looking at the work of the Internet Watch Foundation and its partners. They remove child sexual abuse material from the World Wide Web. So far in this series, we've heard from victims, offenders, law enforcement, allies around the world, and we've heard what the industry is doing and what more it could be doing to make the internet a safer place. In this final episode, we're looking for hope and to bust the myth that this is too big a problem to solve. The biggest hope, without question, is that some of the smart technical tools that the big internet platforms have been developing do hold out the promise that we will be able to detect these images much more quickly, which means we can identify the victims much more quickly and provide them with the reassurance that those images will be off the internet in much quicker times than has been possible hitherto. The problem is huge, and unfortunately it's getting bigger every single year. But I don't believe that anyone should say the problem's too big to handle and ignore the problem, because every single image is a real child. And for that child, they need to know that there are people like us out there fighting the problem. That's John Carr, internet safety expert, and Susie Hargreaves, CEO of the IWF, who I'm on my way to see. I've come back to where we started, at the offices of the IWF in Cambridge. I've learned a lot over this series. I've been horrified by the sheer volume of material out there and amazed by the fact that people don't know how bad it is. Or perhaps they do know and just don't want to face it. I've met some great people along the way trying to tackle the problem. Every analyst I've spoken to feels passionate about what they're doing, preventing re-victimisation every time they remove an image. One of the reasons for this series was to raise awareness of that work, and I've come back to the IWF to see Chief Executive Susie Hargreaves to discuss what we've discovered through the series and what you and everyone else can do about it. Hello, Angela. Oh, hi, Susie. Thanks very much. Come on in. Great, thank you. What made you commission the podcast? We commissioned the podcast because we believe that there is a really big story to be told and we maybe need to be telling it more clearly and that people really need to understand the severity of the abuse that we're talking about and the fact that it is a global problem. And we want to raise people's awareness of the issue because, unfortunately, 
it, it is one of those subjects where um, if I'm asked socially, what do I do? You know, you just see people shut down. They don't want to hear about it. And clearly I'm not going to go into detail, but actually it, it is so prevalent within society that we need to just accept that. You know, we need to accept we have a major problem and we want to raise awareness, not just about the problem, but about the huge amount of good work that's happening and the people who are just trying to do everything they can, who commit their entire lives to trying to fight this, whether it's hotline partners, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's certain people in, in the government from NGOs around the world, there is a, there are a whole body of people who are doing everything they can to fight the problem, and we want to raise awareness of that. That's Susie Hargreaves from the Internet Watch Foundation, which commissioned this podcast series. I mentioned hope at the start of the programme, and when I heard about our next story, that's what I felt, that young people could get over the horror and shame they felt at pictures of them being raped as very young children, even as toddlers were being passed around a community of people who get pleasure from this material. But we're talking about hope, and the Phoenix Eleven are a group of survivors of child sexual abuse who do give us hope. Phoenix refers to them rising from the ashes. The Phoenix Eleven are 11 Canadian women who've decided to speak out about the sexual abuse they've suffered and the way their pain and shame has been magnified by the images being spread across the internet. We are the Phoenix Eleven. Sexually abused as children, reduced to child sex abuse images, and stripped of our dignity and humanity, we have risen together as powerful young women who are retaking our identities and self-worth. No longer content to live in the shadows, we are redefining what it means to be victims who are powerless to stop the relentless onslaught of the technology of abuse. We are survivors of sexual torture. At one point in the video, they list the situations they were subjected to. Sexual torture, child rape, erotic photo shoots, paedophile sleepovers, elementary school sex shows, streaming BDSM and twisted sexual desires. And they say this is made worse because the digital images are trafficked worldwide to fulfil what they call the endless needs of an evil, perverted community which takes pleasure from their pain. Now we are putting the world on notice that we will no longer be a silent, suffering collage of young girls and boys whose nameless and often faceless images and videos circulate worldwide on the internet cesspool of humanity. We are the Phoenix Eleven. Hear our voice. See our strength. Answer our call. We will not be stopped. We will not be silent. the Phoenix Eleven. That video is really powerful and empowering. It must have taken some courage to step out of the shadow of this abuse and speak to the world. So what can we all do to make their dream a reality? I've asked all our experts what they want to see happen as a matter of urgency. For Rob Jones, Director of Threat at the National Crime Agency, there needs to be a complete sea change in attitudes towards the porn industry as a whole and child sexual abuse material in particular. 
Press the reset button today and prevent people from tolerating that these images are available on the open web. Um, it is it has got to the point because of the volumes that it appears that people are trying to normalise the fact that this is a feature of having a free internet. It isn't, it needn't be, and it needs to stop now. I can't help thinking that in 10 years' time we'll look back at this period and think that this was crazy, that anybody tolerated this, because the, the exponential growth of the internet and technology has allowed this to explode internationally and we just haven't kept pace with it. And I really do think that on reflection society will look back and, and say, how did that happen? Tink Palmer from the Mary Collins Foundation says the onus should be on the tech industry to design platforms that can prevent this material being uploaded. We need to encourage industry to carry on with what they have begun, which is find ways of preventing this before it happens. Let us be involved at the beginning when they're producing a new product. Let us give advice about where the risks may be. So prevention, 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 we don't want it to happen, OK? How else can we prevent? By the messages we give out, and it is generally men, by the messages we give out to them about abusive imagery, by getting them to understand the harm that is done to children, and by saying if you are do have a sexual interest in children that way, you can get help. So come forward, get help. And for children and and um, families around children, we will want to give messages out. It's okay to tell. How can we get the messages to children about? It's okay to tell because we will look after you. We will help to make sure that nothing wrong happens to you again. Computer expert and broadcaster Jamie Bartlett believes the answer lies in getting the hackers to help. You can make an awful lot of money Working for the bad guys online, cybercrime is incredibly lucrative. I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. It's certainly the case that the cybersecurity sector in the UK over the last five years has grown incredibly quickly. We have an, an amazing culture now of cybersecurity specialists, and it's quite a well-paid sector, lots of good jobs. Lots of, so I, I, I'm not completely hopeless. There's a lot of people out there now that are very good at doing this kind of thing. A lot of them are in the private sector. We probably need to start paying them more because we need to make sure they come and work for government and things like that to do this rather than going immediately to work for Google or whoever else. There's not much we can do about that. However, bear this in mind. There's a lot of 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds who are incredibly good at this. They're coming through school. We don't know who they are. If we can, if we, like every now and again, you read about a teenager that's got in trouble with school for hacking into their school system. And we tell them off, and I think we should tell them off. We should then have a word and say, you know, you're really talented and it's amazing what you can do. Can, would you, you know, can we put you on a special course for ethical hacking? Because we think you've got a wonderful career ahead of you. So we've got to find those people and then give them some support and ideas and a bit of help to make sure they want to work for the good guys. Jim Gamble is the former chief executive of SEOP, the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Centre, and an expert in online child sexual abuse. He has a similar idea of using voluntary digital detectives, a bit like special constables. We need to use this opportunity to create an army of digital detectives because every police force in the UK, um, to a greater or lesser degree, will have special constables. These are citizen volunteers. They are vetted, they are trained, but they don't cost any money, bar the vetting and the training. So there are lots of people out there with skills who you could bring in to help in this regard, and I hope they look at that. The IWF regularly hosts hackathons where tech and AI experts are presented with the latest technical challenges 
and are invited to come up with solutions over plates of pizza and endless cups of coffee to share ideas. TalkTalk's head of security, Colin Hardy, has been part of two IWF-arranged hackathons. He sees the security industry's method of simulating attack and defence on IT networks as being a possible solution. The level of creativity that you would see from individuals who can think of a problem uh, from all different angles would be, would be amazing to watch uh, and how that unfolds. Undoubtedly, you would see examples where people can recognize certain attributes of a background of an image. And hopefully, you know, that intelligence would lead you to a path where you could, um, you know, find out maybe where the image was taken, etc. But also, so those are isolated events, but also you will undoubtedly see people and, and technology where that can be scaled, feed it a million images and let a machine analyze those images and pull out all of the respective um, you know, pertinent pieces of information that can be further investigated. I think that automation is really is going to be what's key to taking the, the whole challenge to the next level of how do we deal with this massive problem on the internet, which is polluting the internet? How can we deal with it in such a way that we can keep up with the bad guys? And, and that ultimately is not putting more bums on seats. It's embracing automation, embracing AI to help with the issue. Baroness Joanna Shields is a technology industry veteran who founded the We Protect Global Alliance and is group CEO for Benevolent AI. She says fighting CSAM has to become a top priority. It's not like we're going to stop communicating with each other. It's not like these platforms are not going to exist. But there is a way, and there is a way to look at safety from the ground up. You know, some of the work that we've done at We Protect and some of our partners um, has been to design, you know, to create a safe by design guides for developing new applications for the, on the internet for phones and various other things. And a lot of small companies have taken that on board. But when you've got these behemoths that, you know, um, have billions of users, you know, for them, it's really an afterthought. And that's what really has to change. She suggests we need to get all the top executives together in one room and make them hear the latest Global Threat Assessment Report, which was launched at the We Protect Summit at the African Union in December 2019. You can't get through it without floods of tears. Like, you cannot read that and not be absolutely outraged. And I feel like every executive in this industry needs to read that report. And I would love to talk to them after they read it, because this is... This material speaks for itself, and there are millions of children being harmed on like levels that you cannot comprehend. The depravity is beyond description, and every executive needs to read that and understand it. And we should, someone should sit them in a room and read it to them so that they, they, you can see and they can actually internalise it because I doubt that any of them have read that global threat assessment. We've also heard about the problem of language. So could the technology giants work together instead of individually to become warriors for change? Facebook's global head of safety, Antigone Davis. Not only can I imagine it, but I believe it's already beginning to happen and already has been happening to some degree. I think there's a real opportunity for industry, civil society, governments to come together, and you already see some of this occurring. So unlike in many other places on the internet, 
there has already been a real multi-stakeholder approach to this with people stepping up. Industry Facebook has stepped up. IWF, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, law enforcement have really stepped up and tried to take on this problem. And I, one of the things that I think that we have in front of us today is a far better understanding of what this looks like and how to begin to really prevent it. So I actually am extraordinarily hopeful while not being naive about the problem. Hani Farid, the man who invented photo-DNA, has a different approach. He says the solution lies with the chief executives of only 12 major companies. I think that there are probably a dozen CEOs in the world who can change the internet overnight. They can wake up one day and they can say, we are fueling an industry that is morally bankrupt, that is allowing truly horrific things to happen on their services on a daily basis, and we are funding it. Were it not for us, these services would die. Facebook, 97% of revenue comes from advertising. Google, 85%. 20 CEOs can wake up and say, we're done. We are going to shut off the spigot. We are going to turn off advertising for six months. Watch how smart they get. So they will tell you that these are really hard problems, but guess what happens when they turn off the money? They get smart and they get smart fast. Jim Gamble, the first British police officer who realized what was happening back in 1998, has another similar idea. He suggests a review system for websites which allow or do not proactively remove CSAM, a bit like TripAdvisor. I'm not going to go into a hotel that's got a poor TripAdvisor rating. I'm not going to go into a restaurant that's got a poor hygiene rating on the door. So rating the environments that these spaces create because they want to draw members of the public there and they want to draw them there so that they can push click-through advertising at them, which will generate revenue for them. Well, I think we need to say, if that area is safe, if that area is properly moderated, if that area has a good history this year in dealing with complaints and protecting the young and vulnerable, then it could get five stars. But if it hasn't, it could get three. And if you're going to advertise, you know, as a high street brand in an environment with less than three stars, well, you know what, then you should be penalised. Charles Hymus is Home Affairs Editor at The Daily Telegraph. For the past 18 months, he's been pushing for the UK Home Office to introduce a legal duty of care for tech companies. And in February 2020, the Home Office announced they would introduce a duty of care. It's one of a number of initiatives they've put in place to fight child exploitation. Becky Kirby is Director for Tackling Slavery and Exploitation at the Home Office. It's really apparent to the UK government and globally that there is an online threat, but that doesn't come without an, a real world, a contact threat to. Um, images that are online are the result of individuals who have been abused in person. And so we mustn't lose sight of the fact that you know, online there is a real victim at the end of that. Um, we will be launching this year uh, the first ever uh, strategy to cover all forms of child sexual exploitation and abuse online and offline and the linkages between them. And that will set out the totality of the UK government's response, not just the Home Office, but all government departments, and what we will be doing to tackle the, the threat in its broadest terms. Um, you'll also be aware of the Online Harms White Paper, um, and the initial response to that from government was published uh, earlier this year, 2020. And that sets out um, proposals to regulate in the online space in relation to online harms more broadly, but also specifically those that are illegal such as child sexual exploitation and abuse. 
And as part of that, uh, Duty of Care uh, will be published later this year, which will set out our expectations of industry and tech firms in this space and what we think they should be doing in order to tackle online uh, CSEA. Uh, in addition to that, the UK has been working with partners from the US, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, in collaboration with um, some of the big industry to develop a set of voluntary principles, which will set out um, principles that everybody in the online space should be looking to achieve in order to tackle this threat. And they, they cover all forms of online child sexual exploitation and abuse. So uploading and sharing of images, live streaming, online grooming, um, and we hope that by sort of working collaboratively to develop those principles and to embed them alongside the We Protect Global Alliance, we will be able to share best practice and really increase um, the work that is going on across the online space in order to eradicate the threat. The regulator Ofcom will be responsible for enforcing the duty of care. The Home Office has not yet said what the sanctions will be. Charles Hymas is calling for stringent penalties. The idea is, is that you have a regulator who would essentially decide what are the harms, how should they be dealt with, and are the companies meeting that standard and that duty of care that they should be responsible for. So it's a very simple idea, very simple concept. And then it's backed by sanctions, which would range from criminal sanctions, such as taking an individual director responsible, saying that if your company harms people, then you are individually accountable for that, and also having powers to fine them. And it will probably be on the same model as the GDPR, which is that it's 4% of overall turnover worldwide, which would be probably around, for Google, something like 4 billion, and for uh, Facebook, anything up to 2 billion. And the NSPCC agrees. Tony Stower is their head of child safety online. We've been calling for the power to go in and intervene to understand the risks that children face on these platforms, but also the power to find the companies when they get it wrong. The, the most important one for us actually is the power to uh, hold the individual directors accounts. That criminal liability, we see it works in financial services, it's completely reshaped that market. Founded in 2012 by actors Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore is the US not-for-profit Thorn after their documentary highlighting child sex trafficking in Cambodia. My day job is as the chairman and the co-founder of Thorn. We build software to fight human trafficking and the sexual exploitation of children. And that's our core mission. My other day job is that of the father of two, a two-month-old and a two-year-old. And as part of that job that I take very seriously, I believe that it is my effort to defend their right to pursue happiness and to ensure a society and government that defends it as well. But the right to pursue happiness for so many is stripped away. It's raped. It's abused. It's taken by force, fraud, or coercion. It is sold for the momentary happiness of another. I've seen video content of a child that's the same age as mine being raped by an American man that was a sex tourist in Cambodia. And this child was so conditioned by her environment that she thought she was engaging in play. I've been on the other end of a phone call from my team asking for my help because we had received a call from the Department of Homeland Security telling us that a seven-year-old girl was being sexually abused and that content was being spread around the dark web 
And she had been being abused and they'd watched her for three years and they could not find the perpetrator. Asking us for help. We were the last line of defense, an actor and his foundation. They described the making of that film as a moment when you learn something about the world that you can't unlearn. Ashton Kutcher raised the issue at the US Congress. Can we build the tools that are better than their tools to fight what's happening? Um, There are sites in the United States that do this other than Backpage, a lot of them, in fact. There are sites internationally that are doing this, there are other sites. It's happening uh, all, all over the place. It's been happening for decades in print media. We're now just recognizing it for what it is. And I, and I think that that's the most important part. And secondarily to that is, is let's build the tools, let's finance the tools, and let's deploy the tools to fight back. He told Congress that the good guys need to win the technology war. Since then, Thorne has developed new technologies to stop the spread of online child sexual abuse material. Sarah Gardner is Thorne's head of external affairs. We're closer now than we've ever been in that we are seeing um, investments in both our organization and some of the other NGOs where there's an acknowledgement that in order to fight back, um, the sophistication needed, the technology needed is robust. This is not something that like two engineers on loan from a big tech company in three months can solve. This is going to take a a force, uh, you know, a technical workforce um, of, of individuals who um, have the capacity to innovate and solve this problem um, and who come to work on this issue for their careers. And that's what we're seeing now at Thorne, which is so exciting. Um, you know, we have uh, over 60 people now, half of which are engineers, data scientists, and products Um managers who many, actually all of whom have come from other for-profits who have left those fields to come work on this issue. And so the more and more that that not only happens at Thorne, but in all these other organizations and globally, we will see a shift where we're bringing, um, you know, commercial solutions essentially, and that level of talent and ability to this issue. And that's really what it's going to take for us to get not just at the level of some of the abusers, but potentially out in front of them. And what about those 100,000 men in the UK who are watching this material? Donald Findlater, who works with offenders through the Lucy Faithful Foundation, says we need to take a fresh look at how we treat offenders. One of the things that's happened over recent years is people seeking new answers to the to the emerging problems, and and the police and with with Simon Bailey as as the national police lead in child protection, being very candid with politicians and, and and with the public that actually this problem is of such a scale that yes we do need a, a public health solution to it, and I think that those those pleas have been responded to by the Home Office and others, and therefore I think in that pursuit for new solutions to this. It, growing and emerging problem, I think there's, there's far more informed conversations. And we're not simply saying we need to arrest all these bad guys. We're saying there are additional solutions that can stop this problem in its tracks if we're prepared to deploy them. And we got the, the imagination of lots of people working on these problems and all of us with a, kind of, with a heart for doing the best by children. And I think as long as we stick there, not simply assume that the problem, we can arrest our way out of it and be naive about that. But we're having much more informed conversations that over time, I'm sure those conversations 
conversations involving all adults, all industry, all, all parents, um, all ch- children, young people, that together we're creating some decent solutions. Donald was talking there about informed conversations. Now, as anyone who has or has had teenagers knows, you have to find the way to talk to them. When the IWF were thinking about how to do that in a film to raise public awareness, they came up with the idea of having a sock talking to its owner, a teenager accessing porn on his laptop. (laughs) Oh, a bit of porn, is it? Ah, yeah, it's me, your uh, (coughs) special sock. You and I, we've seen a lot together. (laughs) A lot. But... If you do stumble across images or videos featuring under-18s, just report it, mate. It's anonymous. Here's how. (laughs) Right, let's crack on, then. The sock campaign, so socking simple. For a generation that spends its life online, this was a great way to reach them. For the NSPCC, education is also key. Tony Starr again. Parents need to take a really strong interest in their children's online lives. That means that they need to to really understand the uh, app sites and games that their children use. They need to talk about them every single day, just like parents ask about what happened at school today. They need to know who they're talking, who their children are talking to online, and exactly what they're doing. This is especially important for the younger children, where parents can expect to have a high degree of control over their children's internet use. As uh, as children grow up, it's expected, of course, that they will want to use the internet more. Uh, uh, more independently. So it's really it's really important to have those open conversations so that children can come to you and that they know you won't be angry when something goes wrong. We've talked about hope for the future in this programme. So let's close with three people we've heard a lot from during the series. First, Simon Bailey, the UK police officer leading the fight to remove these appalling images off the internet about what success would look like. Every year, the Internet Foundation quite rightly talks about the amazing work its staff are doing and the staff are doing some amazing work and they deserve a huge amount of credit for taking down so many of these sites. However, success for the Internet Watch Foundation and those other organisations that are industry's watchdog should actually be an annual report that says we haven't been able to find anything because that would be success. Not every year talking about 90,000, 118,000, next year probably 150 or 160,000 it would be, we're now really struggling to find this material, that would be success. And Susie Hargreaves, the chief executive of the IWF, also has hope, because of you and everyone else listening to this podcast. If you've learnt more about the issue now, you know it's a, a, a real thing and there are real children being sexually abused, so if you're an offender or someone who stumbled on this content, you can stop it and you can report it to us so we can get it removed. Um, if you're just a member of the general public, just keep talking about it, raise awareness of the issue, you know, let's keep it out in the open until we get rid of the problem, and you can also support us financially if you want to. Our last word goes to Rhiannon, who was groomed online, and who has become a powerful voice in the UK for the ability of victims to overcome and rise above. It took me a very long time to recover from this, Um, but now that I am recovered, I think it's so important to just spread the message of awareness and 
you know, trying to prevent this from happening again. And also a message of hope to people that have experienced this, that you can get through it. It doesn't define your entire life. And there is positivity on the other side. Um, I think it's so important. You know, if I can speak out about it, you know, I've turned the worst thing in my life into one of the most positives. That brings us to the end of our podcast series. If you've been affected by anything you've heard, there are places you can go for help. If you've been a victim, please contact the Mary Collins Foundation. If you're worried about your own or someone else's online habits, visit the Lucy Faithful Foundation's Stop It Now page. If you find child sexual abuse material online, you can report it anonymously on the IWF's website. And you can support their work financially too by visiting iwf.org.uk slash fundraising. If, after hearing this series, you're moved to do something about it, then be part of the change. If you're a parent, know what your children are doing online in what you thought was the safety of their bedrooms. Make sure they know that sharing indecent images is a crime and that they know who they're talking to online. And if something goes wrong, tell them to speak out. Tell your teenagers that what they see in porn is not real life. Together, we can make a difference. I'm Angela Young, and Pixels from a Crime Scene has been a Cambridge podcast production for the IWF. It was produced by me and Vince Hunt, music was by Jay Richardson, sound design and mixing by Ben Carver, and artwork by Louis Sarabia. <laughs>